Conductor is an open-source microservices and workflow orchestration platform which originated at Netflix. Bonisek co-founded Orcus Inc., a company focused on offering Conductor as a service. Boni joins the show to discuss how engineers leverage Conductor to build highly reliable distributed applications using microservices architecture. Boni, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks for having me. You work on Orcus. That is the correct pronunciation, right? Yes. Orcus. Orcus is our company. Okay. Orcus, it's an orchestration system for microservices and workflows originated at Netflix. And I want to start the conversation with a discussion of some previous technologies that are in this area, microservices and workflow orchestration. And when I think about microservice orchestration, the first thing that comes to mind is Temporal and the Cadence project, which is a workflow engine for long-lived, I mean, long-lived workflows, but you know, I would classify that more as like a microservice orchestration system, probably. And then there are systems for more complex workflows, like data-driven workflows that, you know, you have the family of Airflow Prefect and Dagster. So I think of this class of technologies of microservices and workflow orchestration systems as encompassing some of those different technologies. I think those are the ones that people who are listening are, are most familiar with, with. So maybe we could start off with just your perspective on those technologies that are perhaps better known because they've been in the market for longer. And maybe you could just, you know, give your perspective on them, strengths and weaknesses, and we can use that to segue into a discussion of of what you built at Netflix. Yeah, sounds good. That's a great question, by the way. So yeah, yeah, workflows and the need for workflow engines have always existed, right? I think there's a ton of products out there that you like called out. I was also listening to a podcast about union.ai the other day. So that's also a very similar product in the space. But I think when it comes to a few of them, like you called out, you know, they're very specific to use cases around the ecosystem of ML and AI, some, AI, some of them. And then others are like, there's something called Kamanda out there as well. I don't think, I don't know if you mentioned that, but it's called Kamanda. It's also a workflow orchestration engine. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, some of those are like meant to run smaller scales of workflows, you know, especially based on some of the pricing models that we've seen on their portals. And I think what makes Conductor different is is a bunch of great features it has. And I think I can talk a little bit about that. But before that, maybe I should tell about a little bit of history of how Conductor came to be, right? It has been around since 2016. So I think it was around the time when Cadence first originated as well in Uber. So it's been around for a while, although it has been less popular because I think we haven't done a lot of outreach or evangelization of this product as much as some of our peers have done. So this is what we want to come in and do right now. So when it comes to features that makes Conductor different, I think the idea of Conductor is that it decouples the flow logic from the implementation. And I think this is unique about Conductor. And this offers a lot of flexibility when it comes to, you know, configuring your flows and running it because your flow doesn't have to be coupled with your implementation, which means you can run different versions of your flows in production. You can have different variants of the same flow. You know, you can run an A-B test by routing a small percentage of the traffic towards a new version of the flow that you have configured. So th there are all these features that makes Conductor unique and special. And Conductor also comes with like the visualization and observability tooling. So you can visualize the execution before it starts and also, each of your execution can be visualized after, and you can see the path it took and the path it didn't take 
a lot of the services that we talked about earlier only shows you the steps that actually ran, but that doesn't really fully paint the full picture, right? So that's what makes Conduct unique as well. And there's a lot of tooling around the support as well. You know, Conductor as a platform allows you to restart, retry, pause, resume workflows. You can skip steps. And these are all things that comes into play after your day one of development, like, you know, the day two up until however long the service lives. And these are all like some of the features that makes Conduct unique, which I don't think I've seen in all the other products that are out there. And one unique power conductor is it's also designed to run besides your existing infrastructure, meaning it's designed to integrate with your brownfield applications, services that were already running in your production. Sometimes people call them as legacy services. Conductor makes it really easy to onboard onto those services as well, which means running your legacy applications alongside your modern infrastructure becomes easier. So I don't know if I covered some of the points you were looking for, but I can go into any any one of them in depth. No, that's a great overview. I think maybe the next place we could go is to talk about some specific use cases, like if there's a specific type of workflow or example workflow or prototypical workflow that would be good to cover. You know, you, you've got a lot of different customers at financial institutions, infrastructure companies, Tesla, who I don't know if they're the customers, but they're at least users of Conductor. So maybe you could talk about some of the prototypical workflows that are a good fit for Orcus. Yeah, Conductor, like you said, like you noticed, it's used in different industry verticals. I think we like to see it as a truly generic orchestration system. So it can be used in the world of AI, ML, for example, or even for your business flows. But we try to focus more on the business flows as much as possible. So I can give you a few examples. Maybe that's a good way to talk about the use cases. I'll start with a few things that we're using this at Netflix for. So one of the big use cases of Conductor is how we ingest the media content that is coming from all of the productions that are happening for Netflix. So, you know, different studios across the world is producing content for Netflix and there's is daily cuts, production files, all kinds of resources and outputs from every production process. These files need to be ingested inside Netflix. And this is built using a platform that is backed by Conductor. So what happens is each of these files come in and there is a ton of flows that need to happen. One file maybe just directly goes into an S3 bucket, but another file needs to go through an approval process or another file needs to trigger a big chain of processes that need to happen. So all of these flows are configured in Conductor and deployed. And this is one use case that you know we see people using it for media workflow orchestration. Another use case at Netflix, and this is actually linked to how the users use the Netflix UI. So when you watch content on Netflix, there are issues that you run into. Subtitles may not be in sync with the audio. There are playback issues. So these are things that you can actually report problems using the web UI of Netflix. So what happens is we collect these reports and there are really complex flows that needs to run, including human-driven tasks to reach a resolution for these problems and the users are reporting. Sometimes they run into like hundreds of steps. So this is another use case where Conductor is used to configure those very dynamic, nuanced flows for each type of issue that the users report and seeing that through to a resolution. All in all, you know, there are hundreds of millions of workflows that runs at Netflix every month. And I can also mention a couple of use cases that we recently talked about in the meetups that happened in the last couple of months. So there's this fintech company called Black Diamond from Advent. They use Conductor heavily across all of their workflows. And they talked specifically about this use case about how 
the use conductor to track signatures for documents using DocuSign. So what happens is it spins off a dynamic workflow for the number of signatories uh, required for a specific document, then, and it can keep track of if the signature is completed. And once it's completed, it can run all the configured post-processing that needs to happen once the signature is, is done. So this, some of these workflows can run up to like months long, up to six months specifically because that's the limit that DocuSign has. So this is an example of a long running workflow. And then one more use case I probably want to call out is like how Frinks, it's a network automation company. They use Conductor as their platform. And one of the things that they have done is they've created a UI on top of Conductor and they allow their customers to configure the workflows dynamically. So this is like Conductor powering that platform that Frinks has built for Netflix automation, but also extends that feature to their end users who can now configure different workflows on top of the functionality Frinks offers. So these are some of the use cases that we've seen, and it's truly very generic and widespread. And then there are other scenarios where we have seen our customers use it for security automation and things like that. Hmm. So when you look at use cases, like the media side of things that you've addressed with Netflix, like a multi-step workflow of producing media files at scale, can you shed more light on what is required to build a orchestration system that fits those kinds of use cases that contrasts with other kinds of orchestration systems? Yeah. So Conductor was created at Netflix way back in 2016, and it was primarily, you know, maybe this is a good time to tell you a little bit of a history of Conductor. And this was when I spent time at Netflix, where I saw Netflix's second major pivot to be a company that produces content. The first major pivot was when they switched from DVD to streaming. And this was the second one was when they decided they have to produce content themselves, right? Which means, and the way the Netflix was going to do it was to do it globally, different languages, you know, different countries. And they all are very nuanced. They have different rules, different regulations, different directors and producers does it differently. And all of this was leading us to a place where, you know, we had to do a lot of engineering work. So there were a lot of microservices that were already available that, you know, that had all the bits and pieces to get the job done. And, you know, it was pretty easy for us to build new ones for any specific API that was missing. But the real missing layer was how do we orchestrate these nuanced flows across all of these existing services? So that's when, you know, Conductor came out. But before that, you know, we were using an eventing architecture. So it, it was choreography. However, that wasn't very scalable because what we noticed was engineers started hand wiring these flows in dedicated services whose sole purpose was to manage this flow. What we were essentially doing was writing more services that was purely meant for just orchestrating and putting, or, you know, the other option that people were doing was to to pollute existing services to do more things than what it was supposed to do. For example, they were taking, you know, we, we were using the image encoding service to also deploy into the CDN. And that was, you know, kind of polluting the purpose of that original service. And the thing at Netflix was the platform team had great tooling to launch new services which means like new services were getting churned out often you know, because it was easy to do. But it came with a maintenance headache and no one really knew how things were running. The choreography meant that the process was hidden behind events. And although we had tracing tools, it was very challenging to manage this whole thing easily. And the production process that I mentioned earlier means every other day we'll get a request that, oh, we need to change the flow of how content is produced in Korea by a little bit because there's a new law. 
or a specific director wants to do this in, in a slightly different way. So all of these changes were getting really, really hard to manage. And that's when we introduced conductor, right? Because we tried to invert this from choreography to orchestration. And all of these flows became definition or configurations on the platform. This meant there is a lot of visibility that you get into the flows that were deployed on day one. And this visibility also meant like a lot of the changes that were being asked for was easier to do, easier to change. New engineers who were tasked with making these changes were able to like see this visualized flow, which means you know they were able to make those changes with less risk and so forth. And this became really popular inside Netflix after we launched and a lot of teams started adopting it. Netflix culture is unique in the sense that there's a lot of freedom and responsibility. So it's not like as an infrastructure team, we can come in and say, hey, here is a new way to do things and you, you should adopt it. But instead, you know, it's something that we have to sell to the engineers. And that's the sell process was really easy in this case, especially with the observability and visualization tooling that we were showcasing alongside Conductor. So one team adopts it. We show that as an example to the next team and they are quick to jump on it. And quickly got adopted by many, many teams inside Netflix. And that's when, you know, we also decided that it could be beneficial to the community if you were to release this into the OSS. Mm. So when I talked to Temporal, for example, you know, the Temporal workflow engine was incredibly hard to build, partly because like it's built for, you know, things like managing rides on an Uber-like app or managing like a multi-stage banking application where there's financial dependencies. And when I talked to Maxime, the guy who, who created it, a lot of what he said was that, you know, this this was his like fourth or fifth time writing a workflow engine. He had, he had done it at AWS. He had done it all these other places. And it sounded incredibly work intensive. But I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, is there a domain specificity to these different workflow engines? Like do different companies or different use cases want different workflow engines? Or do you think that these different workflow engines have largely overlapping functionality and utility? I think when it comes to functionality, there's a lot of overlaps. At the end of the day, you're orchestrating your flows through this engine. But I think the way, if I'm recalling correctly, Temporal uses workflow as a code mechanism. Basically, you write your workflows in code. While Conductor kind of does it differently, you use configurations for your flows. And it's also a very simple solution, what Conductor is, you know, and it wasn't that hard for us to build this out, to be fair. You know, this is essentially a task-based queuing system. You know, it schedules tasks. So you configure a flow, it breaks it down into tasks, and whenever a task is ready to be executed, it schedules it. It's essentially a scheduling engine. So it was, it's a really simple solution for anyone who's looking to adopt this to understand how this works. And over the, over the years that it existed, you know, we've kind of abstracted away a lot of problems that you run into when you're building distributed systems, such as handling transient failures, you know, handling network issues, service unavailability issues, and then the whole paradigm of managing state when you're running a large decision tree as a workflow. So all of this is, is taken care of in Conductor, and it's a simple state management system on top of a scheduling engine that makes it happen. And it comes with versioning your flows and things like that. So I believe one big advantage or one thing that we have noticed people adopting Conductor say is, you know, it's really easy to understand how this works. I can imagine building this myself, but instead of doing that, I'm going to use this OS platform that does what I think is is an easy way to orchestrate your flows. To answer your question, I believe it's similar in terms of outcomes for people who are using it. 
It's just different ways it operates and whatever makes sense for you, right, will be your choice. And I think if you were to pick conductor, you get some of those things that I mentioned, like being able to version your flows very easily, running different. Because in essence, what we are doing is we are taking these Lego blocks of code that you've built and deployed as microservices, and then you're building flows on top of it. You're just orchestrating that flow using this configuration that you deploy on conductor. That's the fundamental provisor conductor, I think, that makes it very attractive. Hmm. So, you know, you mentioned that you listened to the episode about the data workflow orchestration system, uh, union.ai. When you think about, like, the design specifications for, like, a data-focused workflow engine versus a more general-purpose system like conductor, are there specific parts of the system that you see as more appropriate or, or less appropriate in each case? Yeah. So I've not used Flight. I think that was the engine that was backing the podcast that I heard. But I've, I've used Airflow before. One of the things that Airflow comes with is this ecosystem of operators that makes a lot of sense for your AI ML workflows. So you can kind of use these ready-made functions that are out there in your flow. So that makes it unique or, you know, that makes it a better suitable engine in some situations and this is something that we are working to overcome to right in the in conductor we're trying to introduce all of these operator like functionality which takes care of a lot of common things that people need and that can be once we have enough of those you know it can be a great fit for like an ai based or an ml workflow engine i don't know if that answers the question yeah yeah it does i mean can you, can you go a little bit deeper on that yeah for example you know if you want to process like an S3 file or things like that, right? There are, there are ready-made operators that are out there for some of these engines, which is like pre-made functions that you can import and start using. So that gives a lot of advantage to this tooling when it comes to specific use cases, such as building workflows around ML or AI. And that's, Conductor on the other hand, has always been focused on, you know, your business flows, your service flows for handling your, so, so for example, things like, dealing with the sign-up request from a user and doing all the provisioning for the user. These are like more like API transactions that happens as a chain of API calls that you need to make or based on the decision tree. And these are use cases, I think, better fit for conductor. And on the other hand, if you have like a huge data processing workflow, which needs to talk to different databases and so forth, sometimes using an engine like Airflow would make better sense. Okay. So if we're talking about multi-microservice orchestration, is it... Is the code that you're writing, like you're talking about provisioning resources, like, you know, one service calls another to provision some resources and then needs to be able to do something about it, needs to do something with those resources. So you have a chain of services that need to interact with one another. Is there like the notion of a promise or some kind of callback system? Like, I guess I'd, I'd like to know a little bit about the way that you handle asynchronicity. And then, you know, you can also talk about just more generally distributed systems questions like... How do you handle, you know, service failure or service not responding to you, stuff like that? So, yeah, this is what Conductor does really well, right? You can you can configure these asynchronous flows that you have, which is very common in like almost any business that you operate. And you can have that orchestrated by Conductor in a very, very reliable way. So the idea is that Conductor will look at your configuration, which is your flow definition, and it knows what step one, what comes after step one. And where does it branch off into forks and where does it have to join back and all that, right? These are all defined as a configuration. And then the orchestration engine takes care of making sure all of those steps execute. And these steps can be very long running steps. 
Like you can have something that waits for months, as I mentioned about the use case of DocuSign workflow from Black Diamond. Or it could be very short-running workflows, which is like short-running tasks like that finishes in microseconds, right? And it can continue to the next step. So the flow is managed by a conductor, which means the decision of which step to run next is the one that conductor makes a decision on. And it schedules that particular task for you to execute. And this task that you are executing, they are your microservices code. It can be a Lambda function. It can be a service that you've deployed in a Kubernetes cluster. It can be a third-party service that you're integrating with. So any kind of you can bring together all of these different types of dependencies into that single flow. And it has inbuilt features that allows you to retry it if it fails. And these are all configurable. You can decide how many times you want to retry and what should be the gap between the number of times you want to retry. It also comes with features like rate limiting. So this is a very common feature when you build distributed systems. You want to and when you're integrating with third-party services, especially, there is usually a rate management that you need to do. You can't like call SendGrid's email API a thousand times a second because they may not allow you to do that. So if you have situations like that, you can control that also through this flow definition. And that takes care of all of that. So Conductor basically has code and logic that kind of does all this functionality for you. And in terms of failures, you know, it not only retries for you, but if your workflow ended up failing halfway through, you can use the support functionality later on to retry or retrigger them or ask it to resume if it is stuck in a, ask it to pause if it is stuck in a failure loop and you want to fix that problem before you want to resume that workflow. So there's all of these features that comes with an orchestration engine like Conductor. How are those retries and distributed systems resiliency systems implemented? So Conductor, when you deploy it, you know, it has a few things that it comes with. One is a queuing engine. So it uses Redis as his underlying queuing mechanism. And there are different options that Conductor can be plugged into. So like we've, the open source version of Conductor has different implementations for the queuing engine. There are people who use ActiveMQ and RabbitMQ for their queuing requirements. And then there is a state management store that you need alongside this. So these are the two things that it depends on. The state management can be, again, there is a variety of storage options out there in the OSS ecosystem. Postgres, Cassandra, MySQL, for example. So combining the queuing engine and the state management engine, it makes sure that your data is never lost. Any task that you were supposed to run is always executed at least once. And that's how it manages resilience. And then there is like enough redundancies on the service layer to make sure if one server of conductor goes down, you know, the next server that is living will pick up and until the server that went down is replaced. So all of that is kind of built into the architecture. So when you decided to turn this into a product, I assume that there was a lot of work to make this functional as a cloud product. You know, you'd obviously worked on it at Netflix and, you know, knowing what I know about how Netflix builds services on top of AWS and, you know, does a lot of work around distributed systems, probably the system that you had inside of Netflix was very similar to what you've built as a cloud service. Is that accurate or has there been anything notably different as you've taken this to being a cloud product? No, the foundation is Netflix Conductor. You know, what we do have maybe slightly different from the OSS is some enterprises that we've been talking to has requested for like specific features that they want, like SSO integrations and, and role-based access control. So some of these things are just the features that we've added on top that we eventually want to push to the, to the OSS as well. But that's the only main difference between what's running in the OSS and, and 
what we have as a cloud product. And like, are there anything when you think about like building a cloud product more generally, you know, we've had a lot of interviews with people who build various databases and other scheduling systems, all kinds of distributed systems problems on top of the cloud. Is there anything you can share about taking one of these distributed systems products to market in the cloud that you can share? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So the conductor OS is right. I think I kind of told you earlier about how it has a different, it has various options for the dependencies that it has for the queuing engine and the state management. So obviously not all of them are maintained to the point where, you know, you can run highly scaled workloads on it. So one of the things we did was to pick the best choice. You know, in our case, we picked up Redis as the queuing engine and Postgres as our state management store. And we've kind of tuned that up to make sure that it can run like scalable loads in, in production. So this is definitely something that we've done on top of what the OSS offers. And the other thing is being able to provision a cluster with a few clicks of a button. Like, you know, so that's what we've worked on since we launched last year as a company. And we've recently launched the product as well. So what it does is it's very similar to like AWS console where you can go in and provision a database or or an Elasticsearch cluster, right? It's as simple as that. You go and click a few buttons and you get the entire stack provision for you. A fun fact is that we actually use Conductor as an underlying infrastructure for provisioning the systems as well. So I think what you need to think about when you're building a cloud product on top of some of these things like Conductor is how do you address the different use cases that your customers have so, you know, maybe there is a customer who only wants to run a small amount of workloads on this and there's another customer who wants to run it at like very large scale. So in order to address that, you know, we have different configuration options that leads you to slightly different setup based on how you choose. And then there is a lot of auto scale features that we need to build in for accommodating for spikes and like how people want to use. So these are some of the things we've taken care of when we built our cloud product. So I'd like to shift the conversation a little bit more to engineering around actually building Orcus. So when you think about the different components of the system, if I'm building a workflow that touches multiple services, so like if I'm, for example, building a multi-stage workflow that spins up some infrastructure and then one service loads or pulls a video and transcodes that video into five different places on a lap transcoder ladder. And then you have to add, I don't know, closed captioning to each of the transcoded sections of video. And then you have to, I don't know, run data analytics across all of them. Or maybe, you know, that's pretty simple because that's a pretty synchronous workflow. So maybe you could give me an, an asynchronous workflow. But I'd love to know about what the developer has to write to build that workflow and what's actually going on under the hood to actually schedule that workflow. Yeah, that's a great scenario that you used. I think we can talk about that one. So, you know, you, you get a content, you kind of break it down into to blocks you encode it, and then you have to transcode and stuff. This is something that happens in Netflix. So if you think about that, if you break it down at the end of the day, say you go to the whiteboard and draw this out, it'll be those steps as you highlight it, like you get the file. Now you maybe want to break this down into smaller chunks so you can process it independently. And then each of the chunks get transcoded and then you, you know, transcribe it maybe for subtitles and things like that, and then merge it back together. So this process, like if you think about how it works is you have all these pieces that needs to run to make all those steps happen. And then there is this gluing that you need to do to create that entire flow. 
So two-step process, right? One is you've got to make sure that all of the steps you need are possible through some APIs or through the systems that you have, which is like encoding, transcribing, and all of those aspects. And once you have those pieces, we can call them as these Lego blocks, then the next challenge is to come up and wire this up. And that's where, you know, you probably use an engine like Conductor. So you, with Conductor, you, you literally translate what you drew on the whiteboard as it is. And you say, my step one is to get this file ingested. Step two is to create like a proxy for it. Or, you know, you want to try and break it down into chunks to process them independently. And step three is to, for each of those chunks, you got to do the encoding work and so forth, right? So whatever flow that you had painted in the beginning is now what you would write as a configuration. So there's multiple ways you can do that in Conductor. There's a way to write this in a JSON-based data model. You're effectively representing your flow as a DAG inside using JSON. And then the second way you can do that is to use like the SDK libraries that we have to compose that using code. And the third way, which is not out yet, is maybe to use the drag and drop UI that we are coming up with. You basically come up with that flow. And once you have that flow, you persist that flow as a configuration in the connector platform and deploy it and start executing it. And what will happen is that when the first file comes in, you want to trigger a workflow that runs that particular flow that you've just defined and you can see that getting executed by calling those Lego blocks. And so the way Conductor will execute that is by going through the sequence of steps you've defined and then calling the appropriate Lego steps that you've previously defined and deployed. And if you contrast that with a way of writing a multi-service workflow without a workflow engine, what are you gaining by having a workflow engine? Yeah, this was exactly what was happening when we first built Conductor, right? I, I briefly touched on it. Like what was happening is people were hand wiring these flows, meaning you kind of hand wire these exact steps that you you would otherwise use Conductor for. The biggest advantage or, or the disadvantage of having, you know, doing it that way is that you kind of, your flow is hidden behind in that actual implementation, which means you can't, you know, you can't visualize it on how it actually gets executed. You know, you don't, for something, if let's say that was running in production for a while, a new engineer coming in would be very hesitant to change a flow that is kind of hidden behind in, in code. So one of the things that you get out of the box with Conductor is these executions are is visualized on exactly how it's defined and how it gets executed. So you can see that flow that you've previously defined for each of the execution instances that you trigger that workflow, right? And not only that, you can have different versions of it. And this is where it gets really tricky if you were to do that using that hand-wired mechanism. You now have to have like a lot of if-else conditions or if it is for this condition, trigger this a variant that we have written if it's for that condition to trigger this other variant. But you don't need to worry about all that if you were to use Conductor, you kind of have all of that visualized and configured as a as a configuration. So it's you're shifting that problem from the code complexity to like a configuration and its configuration is proven to be very effective in these situations when you have similar things, when you want the same code block to run, but you want to run it slightly differently. So you kind of, most systems tend to direct you to use configurations for that. And that's what Conductor does for you. So you've got the core workflow engine built, you've got a cloud service for it. Where do you take the product next? Yeah, that's a great question. So at this time, you know, we are fully focused on 
doing two things, right? Two things mainly. One is to evangelize and rally the community behind Conductor. And then the second is to to make it really easy for someone who's coming across Conductor from the moment they learn about it to running a massive production workload. So we are trying to optimize on that, trying to improve on that, trying to craft the journey that someone can take from when they first become aware of Conductor all the way to running like critical production workloads in production. So that's really where we are focused on right now. Where do we want to take it next? You know, I think we've thought about that a little bit. You know, we think we can help with like specific verticals that are using Conductor, for example, for infrastructure provisioning or for running like security related workflows and things like that. So we want to pick an industry vertical and maybe help with uh, some of the common things that they often have to write themselves and maybe abstract that away as part of the platform is where we, we are thinking at this stage. What's been your impression of the market? Are people formally ready to adopt workflow orchestrations? I guess workflow orchestrations as a concept has been around for a while. Maybe it's worth discussing. Why does this field get continually reinvented? Yeah, I think it's the ecosystem that's also evolving around it, right? Like how you use systems, how you build systems. Traditionally, a lot of the engineering, you know, resulted in monolithic applications. And it's only recently, you know, you can see there's a shift towards microservices. I mean, Netflix was definitely a pioneer in this. It started doing this very, very early. But what I've seen in the market, it's only recently that companies are now adopting microservices, mainly because a lot of lot of the companies are moving from a data center sort of environment towards cloud. When you try and choose cloud, you know, you kind of use a platform like Kubernetes or something to manage your workloads. And when you use containers in Kubernetes, it naturally leads you to think about smaller services with all the support for, in the ecosystem that's available in, in Kubernetes, right? For example, service discovery, service mesh. With all of that features, it makes it very, very easy to break up your services into smaller chunks and making it like microservices and APIs and API contracts is way more easier than like managing a large monolithic application when especially when you have a very large team so I think the ecosystem around how you build applications has evolved over time more teams are adopting microservices and that's when you know you kind of run into this challenge of how do you want to orchestrate your flows around it the legacy workflow engines were all very much centric on how you can run it on top of monolithic applications like the BPMNs and, and all of those workflow engines that used to exist in the past. So, but with this microservice architecture, you've got to choose between choreography or orchestration. And when you do that, you know, you want to rely on a platform that can do that for you instead of hand wiring it. And that's when this need for an engine like Conductor comes out. And I believe the timing is pretty much around the, the fact that a lot more people are now moving to cloud than before. Makes a lot of sense. So as you look at the different use cases, like I look at these use cases that you have listed on your website, like food delivery workflows, patient management, patient medical records, workflows, telecom subscriber and billing management workflows, there's really a lot of things. So as customers adopt Conductor or Orcus, are you seeing them refactoring existing code to include Orcus or, or is it more like just new workflows that they have? I guess I could see them refactoring 
old code to use Orcus if the old code, for example, has like failover cases or something like that. But more generally, I would expect this would be like used for greenfield stuff. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. I think one of the reasons why people look for a platform to abstract away things is like the problems that they run into, right? Especially those hand-wired flows, you know, all of those. That's our biggest sort of challenge too, you know, or, or a competitor, if you were to ask me. It's the existing hand-wired flows that people manage. So the challenge with doing that is you have to replicate the functionality of managing resiliency, the reliability aspects, the state management across multiple different use cases. So you're kind of repeating that process over and over again. And that's when, you know, you kind of look for a solution that's out there. And most people that we have, we are talking to or we've talked to are looking at migrating their existing services onto Conductor Platform. And that's this is really one big advantage of Conductor. And I think kind of touched on it earlier about how it was designed around the fact that we need to be able to integrate with legacy services or, or brownfield applications. If I were to talk about that, right, if you just draw a circle around your existing service and when you integrate Conductor, it's going to just live on the circumference at the edge. So it doesn't really get deep into your code and you don't have to do any deep integrations. The SDKs or the client libraries that we publish are all very thin. It's just wrapping API calls for the most part. It makes it really easy to work with your existing legacy services. Like there are many situations where you want to integrate with that. Maybe there is a, a mainframe system that you use for processing your transactions that you can't replace with anything else. For example, in banks like JP Morgan, right? So these are situations where you don't want to force people to do something new, but rather like provide a way for them to integrate their modern infrastructure to also work alongside their legacy system. And that's doable with, with conductors architecture. How active is the conductor open source community? Is the project continuing to be engineered on? Yeah, there is a pretty strong team at Netflix that's their full-time purpose is to manage the conductor because it's pretty heavily used inside Netflix for a lot of critical workloads. And and they've been continuously engaging with the open source community throughout this time, you know, definitely answering questions that are coming through and and any sort of support or feature requests coming from the community. Obviously, you know, now that we also here, we want to take that up a couple of levels. We definitely want to be a resource for anyone who, you know, who comes across Conductor and wants to try and use it and, you know, help rally the community around it. So we've been doing a lot of meetups lately. That's been a new thing that was revived, you know, when COVID came about. I think the Netflix stopped doing like in-person meetups and all that. And we just restarted that. We still through like video conferencing, but we want to soon start having some sort of in-person conferences around this. So we're really doing a lot more than before to rally the community. We have a Slack channel where you can ask questions and there is a Discord channel as well. It's, it's slowly gaining membership and we hope to improve that over time soon. And you know, just to add on, in terms of activity, there's quite a few pull requests and commits that are happening in the conductor versus which which has always been up to a decent standard, which we are also trying to make improvements on. Are there any distributed systems use cases that are particularly challenging to orchestrate, even with the help of a workflow engine? So almost all workflow engines, by nature, you know, is designed to handle asynchronous flows. I think one other thing that people often 
could benefit from if if let's say this engine were to do that is to handle like real-time API calls. This is where you know you have a single API call that's coming in and it needs to essentially orchestrate a flow by talking to different services to gather data from different services and to answer that call that the user has. This is something that it's not as straightforward to do with any of the asynchronous workflow engines today. And something that if any any of the engineers engines are capable of doing would be very, very helpful to the development community. So this is something that we are also considering on how we can reuse the orchestration engine of Connected to even power real-time calls. And I, I think this is one scenario I can think of. Does a workflow engine add or reduce latency to a net overall time frame that it takes to complete an operation? Yeah, I think every workflow engine, like, you know, when you're offloading the state management and scheduling aspect to the engine, right, that comes with the fact that you need to be able to schedule for stuff and get that assigned to a specific task runner. So it, it does comes with that cost. But if you were to hand wire this flow, that cost would still exist, especially if you were to use some kind of queuing mechanism to make this happen for the sake of resiliency, right? So that when you compare with hand-wired flows that use queues behind the scenes to make the orchestration happen, it's almost identical. But if you were to compare that with someone making API calls just in the code to make this happen, there's definitely that additional cost of having that engine orchestrate this flow for you, which is usually very, very negligible. Like it comes, it usually happens within milliseconds, the scheduling aspect and the decision tree parsing. So that comes at a very long, low cost, but it, it does have a price. So I guess to wrap up, I'd like to get your perspective on cloud infrastructure from a higher level. So there's a lot of work around making distributed systems easier to operate, and Conductor is obviously one of them. There's AWS native stuff for building your workflows. There's infrastructure as code. And I wonder if you have any perspective on if the modern infrastructure innovations are laying the foundation for anything next? Like what is the next wave of infrastructure management tooling going to look like given that we have additional leverage from uh, simplifying these previously complex workflows? Yeah, I think the ecosystem is definitely, you know, evolving to towards a world where, you know, a lot of things are abstracted away for you. Uh, you know, I believe which leads you to write less code to make your functionalities work. And also, you know, you kind of get things that otherwise you had to manage it yourself, things like resiliency, the reliability of the system and all that, you know, is kind of abstracted away into platforms. And that frees the engineers up for dealing with a lot more business-centric problems, what makes your business work and focus on that. I think that's a good place to be, right? I believe that's a place we are slowly going towards any sort of, I believe all the companies these days are, are really eager to to offload functions that are not their core business to either platforms like us or, you know, other third-party sort of systems that they can use easily. I believe that's really where the world is going. You can already see that, uh, you know, with uh, with a ton of things like, you know, sending emails or SMS or collecting payments, you, you tend to rely on third-party systems. So I think the world of building software systems in a distributed way is going to be based on 
you know the a lot of the things will be you can start using out of the box by integrating with these third party services and i believe that's that's where it's heading towards yeah i kind of wonder if there'll be more more types of integrated platforms like i look at i know one of your colleagues worked at firebase for a while you know, next generation clouds like firebase and netlify seem to combine a lot of these different tools and you know, bundle them together in, in a simpler, easier to use overall platform. I don't know, maybe there's something similar that will be done in data orchestration. I guess there's some work around that, but yeah, I agree with what you said. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, like definitely, you know, when it comes to abstracting away the, those common problems, I think that's where the theme is always going to be. When, even when we talk to customers, we realize, okay, they, there's this common function that multiple people want to run so why not just abstract it away as a as a platform managed task so you know you kind of get to write less code i think that's where it is going writing lesser code to manage complex flows being able to change flows without having to invest too much in engineering resources and so forth is probably going to be the driving factors of how new systems are going to be built cool well boney thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a real pleasure talking to you thanks jeffrey thanks again for having me